Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are still in our Joshua series. We only have a couple more weeks. And then, uh, like Cheryl said, we're going to start Matthew after that. uh, And we're going to work through the Gospel of Matthew together. Uh, But we're about to finish this. Today's message, the part of Joshua that we're going through, is not one of the happier stories. Uh, So prepare yourself right now. Um, But I just wanted to kind of recap where we've been so far. We saw the Israelites, after their wandering series, adopt a new leader of of Joshua, and he has led them into a new season, and and we've seen them cross the Jordan, and they're in the promised land, the land that God had promised Abraham generations before. And he has now taken the entire group of people, and we talked about the story of Jericho, where they go to Jericho, and instead of laying siege to it, instead of attacking it outright, God tells them to just walk around it and blow trumpets. And after they do that, they faithfully do what God has called them to do. The walls come tumbling down, and they're able to go and destroy the city. Except God said a couple of things specifically that they were supposed to do. One, they're not supposed to harm Rahab or her family. So Rahab's the, the person that took in the, the two spies that spied out the land, and, and so she took them in, and so God has protected her and her family and all that belongs to her. So she is not to be harmed. And then also, all the, the precious metals, gold and silver and some bronze and iron, those are supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. But everything else is supposed to be destroyed. Destroy it all. Push it all out. Get rid of it all. Uh, and so that's their command, and that's what they're supposed to do, And this story that we're going to read today immediately follows that. And let's just, uh, spoil alert, they they didn't do it right. Uh, So (laughs) we're going to unpack what that story is and and all that goes into it. But first, let's pray. God, uh, thank you for an opportunity uh, that you've given me to share your word and and talk about it. Thank you for what you're doing uh, in my life to help me walk through this myself. Um, I pray that you continue to guide me and to show me how I can better live out uh, what you're calling me to. And I and, uh, pray, Lord, for all of us here that as we read your scripture and as we go through this story that we can encounter you in new and different ways and, and wrestle with um, who we are supposed to be in your eyes and, and how better we can serve you and, and grow this community. Um, thank you again. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the beginning of chapter 7 of Joshua, that's where we're going to be. It's in your notes. It'll be on the screen. Uh, I'm reading out of the ESV this morning, uh, and I just want to read the, ver- the first verse of this passage because it just kind of tells you everything that happens. Right after the battle of Jericho, it says this, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So, right off the bat, right after Jericho, we were told that they're not supposed to take stuff, that they're supposed to dedicate everything to the Lord and burn everything else. And right off the bat, in chapter 7, we we find out that they didn't do it. And notice what it says, that the people of Israel broke faith. Now, how many people... How many people are responsible for this? Who, who did this? Akan, 
Akan is the only person that's, that's done something here. That as far as we know, there's only one man that has done something wrong, but the people of Israel broke faith. And the Lord's anger burned against the people of Israel. There's a, a communal responsibility. And so his mistake is affecting not just himself, but all the people of Israel. There's also something cool that I, I learned uh, recently is that there's, this is a, a common pattern. If, if you've listened to any or read any of Marty's stuff, uh, there's a common pattern that comes along in Scripture where people pass through water and they're encountering a season of testing. So it goes back to the flood, and then in the Red Sea, they cross through the Red Sea, and then there's this period of testing. They've just crossed the Jordan. There's this period of testing. Uh, and then, like Jesus himself, after he's baptized, the first thing that happens is he goes into the wilderness and is tested by the Lord. Um, so there's this continual pattern throughout Scripture that there's this significant moment, uh, a new season that's going through, a barrier that's been crossed into... A period of testing. And I think this is important. The reason why I bring this up and why I, I really, this, this pattern that emerged that I saw, I was like, wow, that's really cool, is because I think we as Christians, we have a, a tendency to believe that once we achieve the next level of Christianity, whatever that might be, uh, once we've achieved a, a new era in our relationship with God, once we've gotten to a certain level of closeness, that's when it gets easy. Has anyone ever thought that? Like, oh, I can't wait until I got this all down and it's easy. I got this. I'm just going to cruise. I'm going to get so close to you, Lord. I'm never going to struggle again. But over and over throughout Scripture, it's, it's right after those moments where God has done something miraculous and you're into this new season, the first thing that happens is a period of testing, a trial. It's, it, God's not sitting there being like, oh, sweet, you're good. Never going to struggle again. God's like, hey, Let's test to find out what you, what you really feel, what you really experience. So you've got to this place, that's great. Let's see where you're really at. Let's see what's going on in your heart. And, and so this is what's happening over and over again. And I think I've experienced this in my life, and you probably have too, that as you're growing in your relationship with God, sometimes we have this experience like, oh, we're so close to God, everything's going to be peaches and roses. But then you go through a period of testing, you're like, God, what the heck? But expect that. It's part of the process. It's okay. It's a refining moment where God is putting you to the test and an opportunity to show your faith and your trust in him. And he does that right here. There is this, this chance where God has just delivered the people of Jericho. The entire city falls and crumbles. They watch something miraculous happen just after they crossed the Jordan. And God puts them to the test by saying, don't take anything and they fail. By the way, all throughout Scripture, they all fail, except for Jesus. Jesus is the only one that doesn't fail the testing. But everybody else, after... So that also makes, should make you feel a little better, that lots of people fail the testing in the Bible. Um, so they go through this, and they, they fail the testing, and that's something that we should be expecting in our life. Uh, I'm going to be reading most of the chapter, but I'm going to skip through a little bit, uh, just for time's sake. We're going to jump down to verse 6. We're going to see Joshua's response. Oh, I've got to explain what happened in between. They go to battle. Right after this, they f- we find out someone had took something, but Joshua doesn't know that. The rest of the Israelite community doesn't know that. Only God knows that, and his anger is burning against the people. So they go to the battle of Ai, and they find out that Ai isn't that strong. It's not that bad. We can, we can beat them with just a few thousand people. So they spend, send 3,000 men to go fight this battle, and do you know what happens? They're defeated. 
They turn tail and run, and 36 men die. And, and they're defeated right away, and Joshua is, is taken aback by this moment. Because he, remember, this is the group of people that have been watching God provide for them. They've crossed into the Jordan. They've just seen Jericho fall with nothing but walking and trumpets. They're ready to go. They know God is with them. And so this first defeat is astounding, especially one that they, they easily should have won. So something's up, and we're going to read Joshua's response to this moment. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So I really, like, I really want to criticize Joshua here and be like, man, what, why are you being so dramatic? You just, you've seen God do so many cool things. Why are you being so dramatic? But I also know that I've been just as dramatic for a whole lot less. <laughs> I've, in my life with God, I, have, I mean, I'm not the only one, right? I'm not the only one that experiences the minor inconvenience in life, and then you go before God, and you're like, why did you even make me? I'm, I'm the only one, <laughs> like... Go through something small, like your car is messing up, and you're like, God, why am I here? And it's something so small. And so I, lo- I would love to criticize him, especially since Joshua has gone through. This isn't, a, this isn't a complaint, by the way, that should sound unfamiliar. All throughout the Wandering series, as you, as you read through their time in Israel or in the desert, as they're getting ready to move into the Promised Land, they say this complaint over and over again. Oh, wouldn't it have been better for us to just stay in Egypt? Wouldn't it have been better for us to die in the wilderness? Wouldn't it have been better over and over again? And God has to hear this complaint time and time again. And here, after their first defeat, after the first inconvenient thing that happens in the promised land, Joshua goes, oh God, why did you do this? Why are we here? I have to imagine God's kind of exasperated by us. But he's, he's in this moment. Joshua's there. And remember... If we can sit with them, like, yeah, we, we deal with some of this stuff, but he's dealing with men that just defeated. And notice his, his problem wasn't the men that died. His problem is that everybody's going to hear about it. My record is now one and one. I don't like it, God. I don't want a loss on my record. All the people are going to hear this, and they're going to come and destroy us, and they're not going to fear your name. So what is God's response? Verse 10. Let's read that. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. (laughs) I don't need much more beyond that, right? Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I have commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn... They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted to destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. 
Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies, enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. And boy, would I love to stop right there. This would be a great sermon. I could preach so easily what we just read, and it would be great. But I believe in the whole Bible. And so we're going to read on into the part that's less comfortable. Verse 14. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe of the Lord takes, the Lord takes by lot, shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by household, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man, man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So God, God says to Joshua, first of all, stop. Get up. Stop your complaining. There's an answer for this. There's a, there's a reason you were just defeated. Someone, someone broke the covenant I have with you. Someone disobeyed me and broke that command, and there's consequences for this action. I cannot go with you. I cannot be with your people until you deal with this situation. And you need to take those things that were supposed to be devoted to me and you need to get rid of them. Because someone stole them. Someone lied about it. And they need to get, you need to get rid of them. But he doesn't stop there. He says, then I'm going to point out to you exactly who this person is and you're going to destroy them. Burn them with fire. And all that they have. So I, I don't know what all that they have means. I wasn't there. I didn't hear Joshua. I didn't hear God talking to Joshua. But we're going to find out what they took that to me. Verse 19. So that this happens, by the way. They, they cast lots, which is like, kind of like rolling the dice, but God is in the midst and he's helping him find the person involved. Uh, in the meantime, nobody's confessing. Nobody's come forward. Nobody's offered their apologies Akan is just sitting there hoping that the lot doesn't fall on him. But the lot falls on him. And this is what happens after. Verse 19, Joshua said to Akan, My son, give glory to the Lord, God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Akan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden inside the earth, inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Kor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remain to this day. 
Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor, which means trouble. So yeah, it's tough, right? It's one of those passages. It's one of those things that, man, I, I'd love to just preach the good side of stuff. But, and for some reason, I keep getting tasked with preaching these passages of Scripture. Um, but it's actually something I, I enjoy. It's not something I enjoy talking about necessarily, but it's something I enjoy the responsibility of. Because one, I think it's really important to read through Scripture. One of the things I, I want everybody to have done is have read through the whole Bible on their own. I think that that's something that you should be doing all the time is reading through Scripture. So you're going to come across this passage and what better place to deal with it and talk about it than here together where we can bounce these things off each other. And I think it's important for us as pastors not to glance over the parts of Scripture that are tough. I think it's important for us to, to deal with them here, talk about them here. I also think it's important because one of the things that I, I see often well, that the, the pastors that do deal with these scriptures that get on stage and preach them. Sometimes they, they use these as like, yeah, so burn all our enemies, you know, and I think it's important to not also do that. So I, I love the opportunity that God gives me to preach on these things because I want to deal with them, but I also want to deal with them as well as we can. And I'll be honest with you, this is still one of the, the passages that I'm wrestling with. It's tough. It's uncomfortable for me because I look at this passage and I read that and I see the God that we have here. And I know that that's the same God that came in the form of Jesus, and when a prostitute or a person caught in adultery comes before him, he doesn't cast any stone upon them. Even though he had the right to, he chooses not to stone the woman. So I know that that's the same God. I believe that. Does anyone else believe that? So this is, this is where the tension is, right? We know that that's the same God, and we know this. So I don't want to sit here and rationalize. This is what we've seen. This is what we know. And I have a few things that I just want to point out. I, I'm not going to solve all... Like, if you walk out of here feeling completely comfortable, I don't think I've actually done my job well. But hopefully I can bring up some, a few points that can bring out like, some of the things that we're dealing with here. First of all, Achan did something wrong. That's true. And this is not somebody that has been walking with the Lord just recently. This is an adult in their community. He has participated in all the things that we covered in the Wandering series. He has eaten manna every morning that God has provided. He has eaten quail every night that God has provided. He has had water from the rock that God has provided. He has seen the cloud over his head at, by day and the fire by night guiding his people. He has seen God come through time and time again. He might even been old enough that he was a child when he crossed the Red Sea, but he's definitely old enough to cross the Jordan. And then he got to participate in the Battle of Jericho, which means he saw as people walked around the walls, blew trumpets, and those walls came tumbling down. He has seen God do incredible things. And he was given one simple instruction, don't take anything for yourself. But he does. And I, we, we can, it's tough, but this is the fact. He, he failed. He fell short. He sinned. He broke the covenant with God. He has seen God come through for him, and yet when he saw an opportunity to take something for himself, he was greedy and took it. And then let's not forget that also that choice led to a battle where 36 men die because God could not go with them while they were, they were breaking covenant, they were breaking faith. It was a communal responsibility. He understood that because he got to see that all throughout the world. This isn't like something new for him. That's my point. 
He's gotten to see this time and time again. And he knows his responsibility. He knows what it'll do. And they're defeated. And 36 men die because of his decision. So that's all going on. There's another thing that that I notice that happens is that there's plenty of time between what's going on, like what happened, where he took something to the battle, to beyond the battle, that he could come forward and confess what he's done wrong. And he doesn't take any of them. Not even when they're casting lots and it's slowly narrowing down. I have to imagine, this is my thought, that God did the whole casting lots and the reason why he didn't just say, hey, it's a Khan. He didn't just tell Joshua, no. He's like, I'm going to have you cast lots. I'm going to have you identify which tribe it is. Then I'm going to have you identify which clan it is. I'm going to have you identify which household it is. Then I'm going to have you identify which man it is. And I think all that time, he's waiting for a Khan to say, "Ah, it's me. It's my fault. But the fact that he doesn't means that that man was hoping someone else broke the covenant too. Oh, maybe it's not me. Maybe God doesn't know. Maybe God, maybe God's not even real. But all I know is he had plenty of opportunity to come forward and admit his wrong so that no one else takes the blame. And I believe this, that we have a loving and compassionate God, a forgiving God. We see that not just in the New Testament, but all throughout the Old Testament. And he had plenty of opportunities to come forward and he didn't. He waited until he was confronted. I think this is something that I've learned, at least in my relationship with God and other people, you can, you can speak into this too if you want. But I think his, his mistake of taking what he shouldn't have taken, I think that wasn't as big as him not confessing it. I think the bigger mistake was not coming forward. I think for all of us who don't come forward and we carry something that we're not supposed to have, I think when we don't confess, we don't come forward, we are committing something worse. Because we're not trusting in God, and we're not trusting in God's compassion and forgiveness. I don't know how the story would have gone had he come forward, but I believe it would have been differently. I I don't know how, but I believe that story would have ended differently had he come forward. At any time, he could have. Second thing I want to point out is that sin is more serious than death. When you're reading through scripture, I think that sometimes we we come across death and we think of it in our modern mortal frame. We think of death as the worst enemy we can come across, but it's not. Over and over again, God points out, points to the fact that sin is the ultimate enemy. Sin is the problem. Sin is that separation between us and God and death isn't as bad as sin. Death is a consequence of sin. But it's not sin. It'd be like you being like, oh, I've got a cold and I have a cough. The cough is the ultimate enemy. No, it's the illness inside of you. That's the problem. And so God is over and over again trying to deal with the problem and death isn't as big of a concern when it comes to that. So when we're looking at this story, he sees sin and the separation from his people and he knows that he cannot go with them into battle until they deal with this. And so death is a less bad outcome in this situation than for them to continue to live on in sin. And remember, he's giving him opportunities to come forward and confess, and he's not taking it. So, death is, is the solution. And let's not forget that we have a God, if we believe all of Scripture, we have a God that's willing to pay that price for us. 
that sin is a serious thing and death is a solution to deal with that sin. And so he sends his own son to die for us to deal with that. So yes, this story is hard to read. This story is hard to understand. It's, it's hard to wrap our, our minds and our hearts around. But as we're dealing with a con sin causes death to him and all that belongs to him, let's not forget that the same God holds himself responsible for all of our sin, even though he's not. And the third thing that I want to point out that I just, it's something that I think is interesting is that God holds his own people just as accountable, if not more so, than all the people in the land. He's driving out people in the land because of the evil witness, wickedness that's there. He's driving out the people so that he can establish his kingdom, so that people, and we talked, Gary talked about the particular place that God wants to establish himself so that the whole world can get to know who he is. And so he's driving out people, and they are riddled with sin and wickedness, and it's not that his own people, if there's sin and wickedness within his own people, he's also going to drive that out as well. He's going to destroy that as well. He's destroying these people for them not worshiping him, worshiping the one true God, and he'll destroy his own people as well. That God is <laughs> equally holding everybody responsible for the weight of sin. So Israel also has to deal with this. Akan put the whole community in jeopardy because he sinned and because he didn't confess. This whole story, it's tough. It's still tough. I, I, like, I, I don't think, again, that you should walk out of here feeling super great about this passage. Like, let's go kill some sinners. No, that's not, that is not the goal. I think we should, I, I, I hope, I hope you're wrestling with it because I hope you're like me where you're like, I'm one of those sinners. I, I'm one of them. So I hope this is tough for you to wrestle with because you're like me. You're like, oh gosh, God. Ah. Oh. But he put the whole community at jeopardy because he took and then because he didn't confess. I've been carrying a backpack for a while. You guys noticed that? Yeah. Has anyone been fun, like, what's in there? Yeah. <laughs> it works. <laughs> yeah, I, the funny thing about it is that I practiced last night. I, I know. You guys probably don't think I practiced, but I, I do. I spent a few hours here practicing, and I carried the thing the whole time. I was like, why did I do this? Like, no one was here to... Anyway, um, I did this to illustrate a point, um, that I myself have been carrying something that God has told me not to have, and is holding our community back. And so I did it to illustrate this point was to keep a, back, or a bowling ball in my backpack. Yeah, and it's especially bad because you can ask my wife, I really hate when things touch my spine and the bowling ball was sitting right, anyway. Um, and if you're thinking, oh, he got a lightweight bowling ball, it's 16 pounds, okay? So it's my grandpa's old bowling ball. This is my shame. I, I had a... I was talking with the other pastors this week as I was figuring out what to, to say this morning, and uh, I was talking about guilt and shame, and I was like, and Alex brought up the point that uh, guilt is true. I am guilty. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've fallen short of the glory of God more times than I could ever count. But shame is what happens when that guilt forms your identity. And I preach on this stage, 
And I talk to kids all the time. And I, I've interacted with lots of people. And I've shared with this somewhat to you before. I've preached a lot about how God's grace and forgiveness is sufficient for all of you. And you could come confess some of the worst, most horrific things, and I will still say that God loves you. But for some reason, no matter how many times I know that, no matter how many times I read that, no matter how many times I hear that, I still have a hard time accepting it for myself. I still have this shame holding me back. And you might think, oh, okay, yeah, big deal. But it is holding our community back. I know this because I have a hard time interacting with people. I, I, I'm realizing recently that I, I thought for a while I'm, I'm introverted. But I don't think I'm actually introverted. I think I'm extroverted with extreme insecurities. And so it's exhausting for me to hang out with people because I'm constantly afraid that you're going to see through me. You're going to see this, my shame. Things that I believe about myself that God says aren't true because I've been redeemed. It's true that it happened. I am guilty, but... It's not true that that's my identity. It's not true because Jesus has died for me and I am redeemed, I am restored. I know these things, but I still carry this weight around in in my bag all the time. And it's preventing me from interactions with people. It's preventing me from going forward and talking to people and it's preventing me from longer conversations. If you ever have a conversation where you're like, oh man, he really wants to get out of this conversation, it's not you, it's me. And I really mean that. I'm like, I'm just like looking for an early exit in any conversation that I'm having because I'm afraid at some point you're going to see right through me. I'm afraid you're going to see my shame, who I think I am sometimes. And it's holding our community back because I'm your pastor. I'm not supposed to be focused on this. I'm not supposed to be constantly craving your adoration and praise. Like, (laughs) that's not healthy for me. But I need it. I need... I need people to come to me and tell me I'm doing a good job because I need to fight this back. Yes. Yes. And I'm struggling with that because I shouldn't either. It should be the other way. I should be working so hard, not focusing on myself, but focusing on all of you and how I can love you better and uplift you better. But I'm carrying this weight around with me and it's hard. Yes. I brought this forward with you today not to, so that you can all feel sorry for me, although that'd be nice. But... <laughs> I brought this forward to you today because I want you to see that this story is still happening. And I'm willing to bet that I'm not the only one with a backpack and a bowling ball in their back. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one with something hidden under my tent. We've all taken something probably. We all have something that we're hiding and what I want to point out to you is that it's affecting the community. I know, like you probably think like me, this is just affecting me. I'm the only one dealing with this. Well, we all do. We all bear the responsibility. We all suffer collectively for what we're not bringing forward and sharing with each other and sharing with the Lord. And like I said, I, I, I'd love, and we do get to see this story played out in the Gospels. And so stick around for Matthew. We're going to go through some of the Jesus side of this stuff, but we don't often get to see what it looks like at least here in this story, of what, when someone comes and confesses, brings it all out there. We don't get to see what happens in that story. Achan didn't do that. But I'm doing it. I want all of us to do it. Because I don't want our community to be held back by something that doesn't belong here. That God told me, 
I'm not supposed to have this. He's told me my identity and he says, this is not true and you should not be carrying it any longer. And I'm still right, I'd like, I would love if this illustration was something that I'd be like, and I conquered it. <laughs> no, this is still on my back. I'll be honest with you. I have not overcome this. If anything, it's gotten a little heavier. I'm still working through this, but I want us to be able to do that together. And so my, my points tonight, or today, that I wanted to bring up is that, first of all, we're not going to stone you. Uh, I just <laughs> want to clear that up right now, that if you are afraid at any point that if you come forward with, with, to confess something, stoning will not be our answer. Um, and Jesus settled that. So we're, we're not going to stone you. But also, if you are like me, where you're carrying something that you're not supposed to have, I want you to know this, that we have a communal responsibility to each other. That the people inside this church... What you're carrying with you is affecting this community. Whether it's causing you to hurt or stopping you from helping others. Carrying this weight is a communal responsibility and all of us are responsible for that. Whatever we're carrying that God says we're not supposed to have, it's, a, it's, a, it's affecting all of us. And the second thing is that there is communal support with that. That we all have the communal responsibility of not having what we shouldn't have and coming forward and getting rid of it, casting it before the Lord and confessing what, what we've been carrying. But we also get communal support. And this, again, isn't what we get to see in this story, but I believe this to be true, that if I come forward with telling you what's going on in my life and what I'm carrying around, I am not going to get a bunch of people that are angry at me, that are, are going to shame me. I'm pretty confident that I'm going to get a bunch of people that want to hug me. Is that true? Don't get your stones out. Gosh, okay. <laughs> I, I believe that to be true. I believe that of all of you. I know that it's scary for me. I don't, I don't like it. I don't want to stand before you and tell you that I'm dealing with this stuff. I don't want to tell you all the things that I've fallen short. I don't, this isn't the space for that, but you know, I, I will. Because I believe all of you are good people that, that understand the love and grace of Jesus. And you want to share it with each other. And I believe that we need to have that faith in each other as well. We need to have that faith in God that he is a loving, forgiving God, a compassionate God, slow to anger. And he wants us to come before him and confess. And he's giving us every opportunity to do that. And I want you to also know that you're a part of a community that's willing to do that as well. That I'm pretty confident every single person in this room is willing to love and forgive everyone else. That's a pretty good church to be a part of. That's a great community to be a part of. And I think it's our responsibility to start doing that. But we don't give people the opportunity to love us and help us and support us if we're not willing to bring it forward. We need to be a community that's willing to bring our stuff forward, whatever we've hidden that's not supposed to be carried anymore. So that we, so that God can continue to work in this community, we can be all the more effective for showing his love and grace to the the world around us. Will you do that with me? Can we be that group of people? Starts here, starts with us. And then we'll reach all of them. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com 
or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.